Good morning. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Avon. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we go in that we, as we hear the word, that we would be open, that God would do his work in us, especially as we come to a topic as sensitive and as, uh, as tough as this one. But before we do, I want to take a moment to quickly pray for one of our uh, one of the families in our church as well. Um, some of you may know the Barayuga family. They attend our first service. Uh, typically, they're not here right now. Um, Arnufo, Arnufo's sister, she's in the ICU as we speak, and she is uh, not doing well. Um, they're waiting for some family to arrive into Boston, and once they arrive, they're going to be making some decisions that... Uh, uh, will most likely end her life. And so, so they've asked us to pray, and they've asked us to keep them in, in our prayers this morning, that God's goodness would prevail, that God's grace will be felt, that God's spirit would be over such an incredibly hard decision that they have to make. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your presence that is here with us this morning your presence that reminds us of your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, we pray for the Barayuga family. I pray that even as the sister is in, in that bed, may she experience your goodness and grace. May she experience your touch. We thank you that your will will be done in her life. And Lord, we thank you for the faith that she holds on to. Lord, we thank you for the faith that the family has. I pray that even as they're in the midst of making these decisions, may your spirit guide them, give them peace, comfort them, Holy Spirit, as they make these choices and these decisions. We pray for the loved one who's on, his, uh, on their way back to Boston. I pray that your grace would be over them as well. Thank you, God, for your mercies upon this family. Lord, we pray for the rest of us here. Lord, we pray today as we hear your word, May your spirit do your work in us as only you can. A work that would convict us. A work that would remind us and encourage us. A word that would exhort us. A work that would transform us into your likeness, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to see all of you here this morning. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Marvin Thomas. I'm the campus pastor here at uh, our Burlington location. And it's my joy to jump back into the series in the book of Genesis, especially in the life of Joseph. So last week we kicked it off. We started this whole series by looking a little bit at his origin story looking at where jo uh, Joseph came from. He is uh, he's one of the sons of Jacob, one amongst 13 siblings. And you can imagine how chaotic that gets. Uh, but amongst the 13, he was one of his father's favorites. As a matter of fact, the favorite son that Jacob had. And you can imagine being the favorite doesn't always invoke the best of feelings amongst the siblings. And especially in the Joseph story, it evoked the worst of feelings in his story. As a matter of fact, you see as the story progresses, th these feelings got worse and worse and worse to the point where they conspired to murder their brother. They threw him into a dry well and then eventually sold him off to traders. And today we pick up the story where he is now a slave separated from his family, plucked away at just 17 years old. 
he is now a slave in Egypt. And that's where we pick up the story. But if you or some of you are already looking at your Bibles and you're realizing that last week we talked about chapter 37, right? We talked about Joseph's origin. And today we're in chapter 39, and you're wondering what happened to the middle, what happened to 38. And here's what, uh, here's what you'll notice. If you, are, if you pay attention to where the story is going in the book of Genesis, you'll realize that the author steps out of, steps out of the story of Joseph for a second and into his brother Judah's life, right? And in that story, it is a very significant story. It is a very jarring story. It, especially to our modern years, we l read the story and go, what is happening? This is chaos. There is all sorts of a mess in here. But God redeems the mess. So much so that the people that are involved in the story would show up in the lineage, in, the, in, in Jesus's story as well. And so you don't want to miss out on that. If you haven't read through chapter 38 of Genesis, please go home, take some time to read through it, to meditate through it. Now here's what we're going to do. While we're, we're not going to be talking about it in, uh, in this series, as a matter of fact, if you read some of the content, you'll know exactly why we're not talking about it in, in the context of the church right now. But here's where we are going to be talking about it. On Wednesday evening at 6.30 right here, a little plug, a shameless plug for our Wednesday night class, we will be talking about dealing with chapter 38. So come join us this Wednesday and have all your questions answered, all right? I hope, you, I hope you join us for that. All right, so jumping back into, jumping back into the story. So here's where we are. Joseph has been sold off to the traders. Now, here's a little bit of a, a preview of what we do on, in our Wednesday night classes. Who are the traders that received Joseph? The Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites are Joseph's cousins. The Ishmaelites, Ishmael was a cousin of Jacob. Now, these are the people that would take him off into slavery. You see things come up in Scripture that, that you see all of these ties and relationships, and you realize, man, this story is a mess. So into that mess, we dive deeper. Now, Joseph is suddenly a, he is a slave, and he is bought by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar, if you, as you read the story, you realize he's a military commander in Egypt. He works for the pharaoh. He is the commander of the king's guard. A king's guard uh, protected, the, protected the pharaoh. He also was in charge of the king's prison. As a matter of fact, this prison that Joseph will end up in later as, at the end of this chapter is underneath uh, Potiphar's house. So he's a man of pretty big significance in, in this country. And he, and into this house, Joseph comes in. Now, Joseph is presumably one of many, many slaves, many common slaves that Potiphar had. Now, Potiphar is a fairly large commander, and he commanded large armies. He had a large household. So you can imagine that it required a large staff, a large uh, slave contingent, if you would. And into that, Joseph is dropped. Now, take a moment to think about Joseph. I mentioned to you a, a moment ago, he's about 17 years old. 
So if you divide up Joseph's life, you can divide it, um, it up into three. What, uh, from his birth to 17, he was in his father's house, the favorite, the one with the long coat. You remember the jacket, the coat that we talked about last week, the jacket that we often think of Joseph in the technicolor coat? It's not so much about the color as much as that it was about the length of the coat, right? This coat for a normal Hebrew, didn't go down too far. This one went all the way down to his ankles and on his wrists. It came down to his wrists on his hands. It signified this. Someone wearing that coat did not do manual labor, did not work the fields, did not pasture the, the flocks, did not do any of that. As a matter of fact, this person oversaw the people that were doing that. That was his father's way of saying, you don't have to go work with your brothers. You stay at home with me. And you just kind of keep an eye on all your brothers. And so you can imagine how angry they felt. So now, this 17-year-old boy who has not lifted a finger in his life, who's been waited on by servants and waited on by his family, is suddenly plucked out of his family in the most dramatic of fashions and put into the household where now he is doing the waiting. Now he is doing the manual labor. Now he is the slave. He is the one being pushed around, being ordered around. And you can imagine the, that the Egyptians at this time, they were not so kind to their slaves. There are no labor unions. There, no, there are no rights that a slave had. And so into the harshest of conditions, Joseph is thrust. But here's one thing you have to notice about Joseph. Now, let's imagine you and I were in that situation. What would be your outlook? Or how would you proceed? Imagine your job. Imagine suddenly there's a shakeup and suddenly you're demoted a couple of levels. Or maybe you have a terrible boss that suddenly popped up and everything is just chaotic. You, you just can't stand being there anymore. What's your outlook in that situation? Now, your situation does not really compare with Joseph's, but imagine with me. Some of us would take the route of, you know what? I hate it so much, I'm going to do the bare minimum here, right? Just give me my paycheck and I'm out of here. I'm here for until the next thing pops up. Or I will just do barely enough so that they don't fire me or I don't have to leave, right? Or there's Joseph. Instead of choosing this route, he goes, God has placed me here. And regardless of my circumstance, I'm going to work hard. Joseph is diligent. Jo Joseph is mindful. Joseph blesses his master. Joseph, as a matter of fact, anything that Joseph touched was blessed. Started prospering. And the master started noticing this. And, and Potiphar started realizing, wait, this young slave who's just come into his household, suddenly has the Midas touch. Everything is getting better. Everything is growing. Everything is prospering. And so he realizes, hey, maybe I should have put him over more. And he gets promotion after promotion after promotion. And now you have Joseph suddenly no longer a common slave, but instead promoted to the highest level in the house of Potiphar, to the point where it says Potiphar worried about nothing except for his meals. He worried about what he was going to eat 
and that was it. Everything else Joseph took care of, his finances, his troop movements, whatever he had to do, everything that he had to do with the prisons or whatever uh, Potiphar could give to Joseph, Potiphar trusted Joseph. Now, it's not in Joseph's luck, or it's not in his character, or his diligence, or his ability to make things uh, prosper and to grow that Potiphar noticed. It's none of those. But instead, Scripture puts it this way. God was with Joseph. And who noticed? In verse 3, it says, his master saw that the Lord was with him. An Egyptian, as someone who does not recognize Yahweh, does not understand God's working, is suddenly able to understand, is able to see and recognize and comprehend the fact that there is a supernatural power over this boy, that there is something beyond the normal with this young man. And as he is working, he is exhibiting the, the, the work of something that's way higher than he is. He recognizes that the Lord was with him. And as a result, here's what we read in verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight. Joseph did not seek the favor. It came to him. Because what? God was with Joseph. Essentially, he was the COO of the Potiphar household. And it's not a small household. It's a fairly large operation, and he manages it well. But here's the, here's the reality. With great success, he earned great trust, but it also made him greatly vulnerable. It also allowed for great temptations. There's not a person on this earth who's cast a shadow today or yesterday that has never been tempted, including Jesus Christ himself. Every person from the beginning till today has been tempted to some measure or not, to some measure. But here's the reality. Every single person has sinned or has given in to that temptation except for Jesus Christ. So all of us, if there's one thing that you and I have in common, is the fact that you have been tempted, and you have given in, and so, so have I. There's not a person in this room that says, you know what, that's not true of me. We're all sinners. Temptation is an inevitable part of this fallen world. And so if that is the case, how do we live? Scripture clearly calls us, to flee temptation. Jesus prays, deliver us from temptation, right? He's, it, uh, scripture is constantly, is very clear that the moment temptation shows up, you have to resist it. You have to flee from it. You have to push back against it. You have to oppose it. So my question is, how do you and I as a Christ follower do that successfully today? See, the temptations that Joseph faced were many. Joseph was successful. He was managing millions of whatever the currency was in that time. He, he, it was no small task. The, the temptation to perhaps, you know, better his own life. After all, 
He may be the COO of Potiphar's house, but guess what? He is still a slave. His status has not changed. Maybe he's thinking, you know what? No one's going to care for me. No one's going to watch out for me, so i got to watch out for myself. And maybe I need to provide myself a nest egg, or maybe I need to provide for my own freedom. Maybe I need a way out. Scripture does not indicate that he took that. Or maybe he had a temptation of power. Because after all, he has considerable power. He has considerable power over every other, every other slave in that household. He has considerable power over all the operations in that household, over the people in that household. No indication that he gave into that temptation. But perhaps it's been, it's been a long time since he's left home. He was forced out of his home. Perhaps the temptation to despair, right? Some of us are there right now. Some of us, we've been through situation after situation, and we've hit that despair temptation. That's a temptation that says, you know what? God has forgotten about you. Because Joseph was in a situation where he went from the father's house to the pit. And it didn't get any better. He went to a slave house. Things are starting to look up, but he's probably despairing at this point. But Scripture does not say that. Scripture instead reminds us of a Joseph who was faithful, of a Joseph who was hardworking, of a Joseph who still had hope, of a Joseph who refused to give in to the temptation of despair. But the temptation I want to talk about today, obviously you've guessed, is none of these. It's instead a temptation of the physical. It's the sexual temptation. It's something that he has probably not experienced. If you put yourself, again, put yourself back into the mind of Joseph, 20-something-year-old who is suddenly very successful but still a slave, no possibility of a social life of his own, no possibility of marrying and becoming a family man, none of that but suddenly catching the eye of someone important. A 20-something-year-old with all his physical urges, if you, can, if you can imagine that, but still finding the ability to say no. Let's consider this temptation. The temptation that we're talking about is we see Potiphar who, who trusts, who enables who delegates Joseph to take over all the household. And then suddenly with this promotion comes who? Potiphar's wife, who suddenly has noticed how good-looking and how well-built Joseph is. That's how scripture defines him. And into that, in that moment, we realize that this was a natural temptation for Joseph. We just talked about it. He's a 20-year-old right? It's something that he has to satisfy. And yet, he sees right through it. He's far away from home. All of the structures that he would have relied on, or all the accountability structures or the boundaries that he would have put in place are suddenly not there. No one's there to see him. No one's there to guide him. No one's there to say, Joseph, you should think about this differently. Joseph's on his own. It comes from an important woman, Potiphar's wife. Now, 
it's safe to assume that this is not the first time Potiphar's wife has seduced a slave. As a matter of fact, she was doing nothing wrong in her eyes. In her culture, that was perfectly acceptable. In her time, it was okay. And so for Joseph, it would have been fine in Potiphar's eyes, or perhaps in Potiphar's wife's eyes, for that affair to carry on. As a matter of fact, for the slave, it was possibly a step up. They, they're recognized, or maybe they gain favors, or maybe they get, they, they, they're able to move up in their social ladder. Whatever the benefit that came with this affair, Joseph saw right through it. It comes, if you notice, at the heels of a promotion. Right when things start to go well. We often think of temptation and we often think of ourselves messing up and, and falling prey. And when things are bad, when things are rough, when things are chaotic, when things are falling over, that's when we're at our weakest, that's when we, we don't trust God enough, and that's when we fall, that's when the enemy comes back. There's some truth to that. But the enemy comes at us harder when things are good. Because it's when things are good that we take our eyes off of God and to ourselves. It's when things are great that we lose focus of who we should really put our trust in. And suddenly when the promotion's here, and when Joseph is living the high life in Potiphar's house, that's when the temptation comes. However, Joseph refuses all of these attempts. There's one final thing. This temptation was not a one and done. It came back day after day after day. It came back because she was rejected the first time. Potiphar's wife came back the second day and the third day and the fourth day. And he just, she just kept coming back and back and back. And he kept refusing and refusing and refusing. I'm wondering how many of us feel the same way or are going through that right now. Where we feel the temptation that's around us and we're at the point of we're getting tired of saying no. We're at the point of a boss who is saying fudge those numbers and he's been asking us day after day. We're at a point of maybe it's a sexual temptation that we're, that we're facing. Maybe it's pornography that some of us are dealing with right now. In a room like this, there's a very high chance that a lot of us are dealing with this problem. We don't talk about it much, but the numbers or the statistics of people dealing with the pornography addiction outside the church is almost the same as the ones inside the church. And so chances are, maybe you're dealing with that right now and you're tired and you're fed up. And you want out. You want a life that lines up with what God has for you. Or maybe it's that affair you're caught up in. All of these things, it's relentless. It does not stop when Joseph says no. It keeps coming back. So my question is, how do we stop? How do we push back? How do you and I stand when the enemy, Paul describes it this way, He's like a roaring lion, roaming 
and looking and waiting to pounce. He is waiting for the slightest opportunity. He's waiting for the slightest opening to pounce and to destroy. And in that, in that place with this enemy who is as strong as he is, how do you and I stand? Joseph sees through temptation for what it truly is. Here's what temptation is. Temptation is the enemy's attempt to draw us away from God's presence. Temptation is the enemy's attempt to pull us away. And it may not be, hey, let me yank you out of God's presence into the absolute darkness. It's more like, hey, take a step this way. Maybe it's half a degree. Maybe it's a degree away from what God wants us to do. A degree now could be miles away later. Because the enemy knows that if he can get you to move your eyes off of Jesus, if he can get you to focus elsewhere, then he has you. He has distracted you enough. So in that situation, how do you and I stand? Well, let me tell you how it's not done. Temptation is not overcome by our willpower. A lot of us are right here. Temptation is not overcome by our sheer willpower. Some of us are sitting here saying, you know what? Yesterday was a terrible day. I gave in. I, I messed up. I, I did things that I would never want anyone to know about. I, I don't want my wife to see it. I don't want my husband to see it. I don't want my kids to ever know. But tomorrow is a new day. And tomorrow, I will do better. Tomorrow, I will keep the word. Uh, uh, tomorrow, I will keep my promises. Tomorrow is my day. And you get to tomorrow and you realize tomorrow was no better than yesterday. Right? All of us, we've been in that boat where we've tried on our own power. We've willed ourselves and we said, you know what? It's in me. I have the strength to do this. I have the power. No one can tell me no. And we've tried it and we've failed miserably. Temptation is not overcome by boundaries. You may think, wait, that, that doesn't sound quite right. Boundaries are good. Willpower is great. Dis discipline in the life of a, a Christ follower is needed. Willpower is needed. Boundaries are essential. But these are not going to overcome your temptation. See what Joseph is doing. Pay attention to what he's doing. He's putting boundaries even in the, in the context of where he is. He's always kind of staying away from Potiphar's house or Potiphar's wife, or he's making sure that he is around the people that can, that can kind of see things as they are. But what happens when everything falls apart? When the friend who you lean on to talk you through that moment is not picking up their phone? When the temptation, when you've been sober for many, many months or years, and suddenly that temptation to take a sip comes, and no one's there to stop you. No one's watching. What do you do? What happens when all of the boundaries that you've put, the accountability structures, the filters on your phone and your devices, and the, all of the things that you've done to protect yourself, to put a fence around you, suddenly falls apart? What do you do then? 
Because here's what Joseph's situation was. He came back home one day, Potiphar's wife was there, and no one else. Everything that he had relied on was suddenly gone. So what do you do? It's not by boundaries. And here's, let's be careful what I'm not saying. I'm not saying have no willpower. I'm pro-willpower. I'm not saying have no boundaries. I'm pro-boundaries. Because these are essential things that help you build the discipline in your life. But when that's your, that's your go-to, we're bound to fail. Let's think of Joseph's story. Joseph's re- response in that moment was to flee. So he's suddenly caught in this, in this moment with, with Potiphar's wife. She grabs a hold of him, gets his coat, he takes off. And she screams out saying, look at what this Hebrew is trying to do. He's trying to rape me. He's trying to make, some translations say, he's trying to make a sport of me. And when Mr. Potiphar comes home that day, Mrs. Potiphar has a story to tell. And she says, look at this. You did this. You brought this man into our house. And this is what he's done. He's come here to mock us. Now, also think of this in this way. Mr. Potiphar's response is a little lacking. Because keep in mind who he is. He is the king's guard. He has the ability to kill anyone at a moment's notice. Anyone who would look at him the wrong way was likely to lose their head. And so someone who, who, is, who has the accusation of trying to rape one of the king's guard's wives, that's worthy of death. People lost their lives for less than that. But Potiphar decides, you know what, Joseph's going to jail. As a matter of fact, the jail downstairs. Because Potiphar knows, this is not the first time. He knows, he knows the God that is with Joseph. He knows Joseph's character. He also knows his wife. That's a side point. But as we get back to it, (laughs) Joseph flees temptation. And what's the response? He goes from the father's house, to the pit. From the pit, he makes his way to the Potiphar's house. In Potiphar's house, he was a slave. He climbs up, makes it to the pinnacle. And from the pinnacle, where does he go? Ends up back in prison. Was it worth it? Was fighting the temptation worth it? Was fighting the temptation when the temptation could, or the object of his temptation could have bettered his life? He could have gained favors with the wife. Why did he do it? It's easier to resist the temptation to overeat if you prepare your meal portions in advance. We know it, right? All of us are going to, or some of us are going to Super Bowl parties later, and you know what's tempting you. You know what you're going to overeat and what, what's going to take hold of you and what you're going to regret at the end of the day. It's easier to resist the temptation to overspend if you get rid of all your credit cards and create a budget. It's a good boundary to have. It's easier to resist the temptation to lust if you put locks and blockers on all your devices. And all that's great. But what happens when they all fall apart? Here's, Here's a character of our enemy. Our enemy, the devil. This is what it says about him. In Luke chapter 4, we see this passage. And here's the context. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is about to start his ministry. 
As a matter of fact, he's been fasting for 40 days, and now he's in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, the devil comes and tempts him three times. Incredible, incredible temptations. And Jesus pushes all of them away. And what does the devil do? Let's take a look. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he had lost. He departed from him until an opportune time. In other words, Jesus, I'll be back. And I'm going to make you fall. I'm going to make you sin. I'm going to crush you. That's the devil. And if that's the devil with Jesus himself, how is the devil with you and I? 1 Peter chapter 5, this is what it says. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's the enemy. There's one more thing about temptation that we ought to think about, and that's this. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 writes this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. The temptation is not sin. You and I are going to be tempted. All of us will be tempted. But given in to that temptation creates sin. And that sin leads to death. So if that's the case, pay attention to what James is saying. It's not God who's tempting you. But instead, where's this temptation drawing its roots from? From what's already within us. That sin nature, that fallenness, that is who we are, who, us who were enemies of God, us who were the world, who were opposed to God. We have this nature within us, our desires that want things that we shouldn't have, our desires that, that crave power, our desires that crave wealth and significance, our desires that crave sex in a way that was never designed for us. All of these things are within us. And the enemy, looking at that, is able to say, you know what, that's your weakness. That's where you're going to be tempted. John Piper was once asked, he was given a, he was given a container, and he said, it was an open container, it was empty, and the person said, if, let's imagine... You had all, you had the fantastic lab and you had all of the equipment and all of this stuff. How would you empty this cup of the air that's within it? And you would think, you know, I attach a vacuum and suck up the air and do all of that. But what Piper says is this container is going to fight that vacuum. The easiest way to empty this container of air is to fill it with water. Simple. How are you and I going to fight the urges that are within us? How are you and I going to fight what is already there? Be filled with God's spirit. Be filled with God's love. When God's love fills us, 
evacuates the air. When God's love and when God's power, when the Holy Spirit, when the anointing of the Spirit fills you, then suddenly the things that are within you have no place to be. Thomas uh, Chalmers, he writes this. And he wrote an essay called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. This is what he writes. The best way to overcome the world is not with morality or self-discipline. Christians overcome the world by seeing the beauty and excellence of Christ. They overcome the world by seeing something more attractive than the world. Christ. The moment you see something more attractive than that is what is within you, that attraction has an expulsionary power. It comes within you and it expels everything else, expels everything else. Here's how that plays out in Joseph's life. Chapter 39 is interesting. Chapter 39 has something, a literary, literary device called an inclusio. An inclusio is simply this. It's almost like bookends, right? It's something that's right at the beginning, Joseph right at the end. But if you're thinking about Joseph's story, in the beginning, Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. In the end, Joseph is a prisoner. But here's where it shows up. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 21, at the end, the Lord was again with Joseph. The Lord was with him. And, that, and the Lord caused all that he did in verse 3. Because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made succeed in verse 23. In verse 4, we see Joseph found favor in his sight. In verse 21, the Lord gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 4, and he, Potiphar, made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Verse 22, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. What do you see between the, the front and the back ends? God's presence. God's presence. The only way you and I are going to fight and overcome temptation is when Christ abides in us and we abide in him. The only way you and I are going to overcome temptation is when Christ abides in you and you in him. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Here's the hope. For those of us who are fighting this, and some of us are here in this room, and a lot of us are in here in this room, and we've, we've grown tired. Here's the reality. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not alone. Someone else is dealing with it the same way as you are. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Paul is not saying that he will take the temptation away. He's saying temptation is a fact of life. What God is going to do is he's going to give you the ability to endure it, and he's going to give you the way out. The Holy Spirit that's within you, the power of God that is promised to you, the ability to see a situation for what it truly is, a situation that if you give in, would be, you would be separated from God. He's saying, the way you fight it is being filled with God himself, is to abide in Christ Amen. and to abide and for him to abide in you.
Psalm 37 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Know this, your trials, your temptations, your failures, your successes, all of that is part of what makes you who you are today. See, Joseph has to go from his father's house to Potiphar's house. He has to go from Potiphar's house to the prison because if it was not for that route, he's not going to get to his next stop, and that is the palace. God has a plan and a purpose for Joseph. If you remember with me, back when God is talking to Abraham, God tells Abraham, through your family, I will bless the nations. And God is starting now. God has already started in Joseph. God is blessing Potiphar's house. God is blessing the people in the prison. And God is going to bless him in the palace. And God is going to bless the nation of Egypt and all the surrounding nations. But for him to get there, he has to travel this path. So dear friends, your path has been windy. It's been bumpy. But God is there with you. The call that we have today is this. The songs that we sang today, the, the exhortation that James gave us is that victory comes through submission. That we overcome when we surrender. And if you and I are going to overcome temptation today, it is through our surrender. It is through our giving up of ourselves and saying, God, you take over. So as we close out in worship, the team's going to lead us in a song. Take a moment. Please don't leave without dealing with your temptations, without surrendering it to the Lord, without saying, God, you've seen my track record. You've seen where I've messed up. You've seen where I've destroyed my marriage. You've seen where I've given in. You've seen where I've made a mess of it all. Would you redeem it? Would you repurpose it? Would you make it good for those who trust in you? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us this morning. Thank you for your word that stands as an encouragement, but also as a warning. Thank you for your word that reminds us of who we are in you, that we, that you abide in us and we abide in you. And Lord, as you do, I pray that you give us the strength, Lord, to see temptation for what it truly is. That it's not just in the here and now, it's not just a matter of whatever is in front of us, but instead it is the devil trying to pull us away from your presence. And Lord, in those moments, Holy Spirit, would you guide our minds, would you guide our hearts, would you protect us and deliver us from our temptations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand up with us as we continue in worship?